This is Steady Habits, a Connecticut Mirror podcast. It's where we take a look at life here in the land of steady habits, what works, what doesn't, and how to make things work just a little bit better. I'm John Dankosky. Thank you so much for joining me. If you sit down to talk with Scott Lewis, you're going to hear a lot of things that sound like this. You go through uh, a lot of challenges in life. You learn how to make the best out of the days that you're given to live life. And Lewis has been through some challenges in his life. At the age of 29, he was sentenced to 120 years in prison for a high-profile murder in New Haven that he didn't commit. An FBI investigation found that Lewis and a co-defendant had been set up by a police officer who was involved in selling cocaine. But despite this, it took Lewis years of legal research while behind bars and help from teams of law students to help him gain his release back in 2014. His story is the subject of a documentary, 120 Years. I told myself that I'm not in prison. I told myself that I'm at work. I just have to work for 24 hours. He handled the case over 14 years by himself. He got his own bond reduced, kept filing motions. His priority was his innocence. But Lewis lost 19 years of his life, years with his family he says he can't get back, and that he can't get too emotional about. In 2017, he settled a lawsuit with the city of New Haven for $9.5 million. He's now 55, and he's running his own real estate firm. That's the profession he'd been pursuing before his arrest. He wrote recently for the Connecticut Mirror's Viewpoint section about his support for a bill that would, in his words, provide second chances by reducing barriers to professional licensing for people with convictions. Lewis knows about the barriers people leaving prison face, and he says that while some of those barriers are necessary, they need to be coupled with compassion for those starting to seek a new life. Here's our conversation. Scott Lewis, welcome to Steady Habits. Thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You, you wrote in the mirror about some of the difficulties that people who have been incarcerated have when they get out of prison and they're looking to get into certain fields. Now, we've reported quite a bit on the difficulties that people have transitioning from prison to life outside. This is just one of the many aspects of it. Maybe you can fill us in a little bit about what some of these barriers are. Well, the, the barriers are um, meaningful opportunities. Um, so I, I think in theory, you know, theoretically, you know, opportunities exist. But I think because there are so many roadblocks, so many qualifications and so many uh, standards uh, that individuals that come back in society have to meet in order to kind of put their lives in the right directions, those, those things that are well intended are actually, they actually serve as um, elements to discourage people because they, you know, it's like you're making someone go through hoops who are at the point of their lives struggling just to kind of get basic help. Um, you know, for example, when I came home, you know, it was the hardest thing just to get a, a, a valid ID. You know, you had to go through all these hoops to get a valid ID. So, you know, you, you find yourself not being in a position to get a, a valid ID for 60 days after you're released with no money, no job, <laughs> you know, very limited resources. And that in, in, in some ways, that causes people to that don't have support or don't have the adequate support to kind of just give up. And, and they end up, you know, doing things that they don't really want to do, but they feel like they need to do it in order to survive to get to the next day. Yeah. And maybe you can talk us through that a little bit. 
obviously a lot of people who have not spent time behind bars for any reason don't have any sense of what it's like when they come out. You just laid out one of those things. It's hard to get a valid ID. But but walk us through exactly what those first couple months or that first year is like as you look to put a life together, get a job, get references for a job, all those things. What exactly is it like? Oh, man. It's, uh, it's like going to the gym for the first time trying to lift 300 pounds with no training, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's really insurmountable. Um, and the, the, the mindset of the individual has to be one that is so strong um, because the perception is the difficulties that they're having are put in place intentionally. So the individual can end up failing right? That's the mindset of the individual trying to put their life back together, even though if that's not the true intent, right? But the the perception that the individual gets is you make it so hard to kind of get back on your two feet. It's almost like you really don't want me to get on my own two feet. Uh, So so those struggles are real. And those are like day-to-day struggles. Um, trying to get a job, you know, filling out the, the application process. For, for me, when I, when I first came home, I was able to go back to school and, and finish getting the required course to qualify for the real estate license. And then once I got to that part, now I had to present an application to a broker that would actually give me an opportunity. And then there, there was this 20-year gap of, you know, well, what have you done in the last 20 years? And then there's these procedures which say, you know, are you a convicted felon? Are you this, this, that, and the other? Um, Fortunate enough in my situation, I was an innocent person. So I was able to answer those questions a little bit differently. But nevertheless, I still had to figure out how was I going to explain that gap in my lack of work history to, to the potential person that was going to employ me. But a lot of the individuals that are coming out, they, they just don't have that. Um, And that in and of itself um, is discouraging um, because employees have a right to know, obviously, you know, what, what have you done with your life over the last three or four years or whatever the situation, what are, what are your skills, what are your um, qualifications um, and those things. They definitely have that right to know. But when you have an, an individual coming out of the prison system from a system that didn't even give them the opportunity to develop those skills in a meaningful way, you're really dealing with someone that's inexperienced. Um, and obviously, you know, trying to get a job from and coming from a situation where you're inexperienced is an insurmountable task. It's, it's very hard. So, so what does it look like? I mean, what does it look like to make it easier? Because the things that you just laid out, there's so many compounding problems on top of one another. The, the long gap in work history, the inexperience in work history, and then there's just, you know, for people who don't have the same story as you, they might have to say, yes, I was convicted of, of this crime and I've served my time. Those are all barriers right now. So what's the thing you think that, that we could do to make it easier? You know, I don't, think it's, I don't think there's a way to make it easier. I think what has to happen is just people need to be more compassionate to the situation. In my, in my opinion, it shouldn't be easy, right? It's, it's, it, it should be a, a, a road that is tough. It is challenging. 
Um, but it should be a meaningful role that if, if you if you make the efforts to do this, the opportunity will be there. Um, so I think legislators, um, lawmakers, employers, they need to have a level of, a level of compassion toward these individuals and give them a meaningful shot and not just in theory, um, hey, you know, you can apply or you can do this. And well, if you're not qualified, you can't do this because I think what's missing is the lack of compassion for the individual to give them a real opportunity. Uh, I don't think anyone coming out of the situation is looking for an easy road. But I do think that they're looking for people that are going to be compassionate and obviously give them another shot. Compassion in our society across the board, though, seems sometimes in pretty short supply, like especially around the criminal justice system. It's set up to be punitive. It doesn't seem as though it's set up to be something that is working to make the person come coming out uh, have a, a better situation or at least a chance and, and that's that's got to be frustrating from where you sit as you try to reform this that really the key part is compassion but that's something you can't legislate right I, I, I don't I, I think there's a way you can bridge both of those right um, I think for individuals that 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 find themselves on the wrong side of the fence so to speak and that are coming there I think there have to be a measure of, of punitiveness right I think for that individual, you know, that that individual has to be held accountable for what they've done wrong um, and be willing to kind of face that. Right. And don't don't kind of hide that fact. But I think that if they understand that they're talking to someone that's compassionate on the other side, it makes it easier for this individual to accept that and understand that, listen, you have to prove yourself. If you prove yourself, I will give you that shot. The same thing with me, you know, now that I'm, a, I'm an employer, I'm in a position to give people jobs, you know, I, I'm a compassionate person, but nevertheless, you still have to show me that you deserve that opportunity, right? So we just need to figure out how do we bridge that? But at the same time, I think that under that person needs to understand that, hey, listen, I, I can be accountable for what I've done. I could be held responsible for what I've done. But what I'm asking you now for is a second chance to prove myself. And the other person that is on the other side of that um, needs to extend that compassion to that person. So I think both of those have to be there. The bridge to those both of those sides is a, re is a sense of responsibility for each individual involved. I, I think the, the point you raise is, is so valid. The reason I bring up the punitive nature of this, though, is that you know, look, if you serve time in prison and then you get out, the expectation is is that the punitive part of it should be done, right? Like you serve time because you did a crime. And you said earlier, Scott, that, you know, a lot of barriers are put in place and you feel like they're not necessarily put in place intentionally for people who get out, but, but they're barriers to overcome anyway. I guess I'm wondering, do you feel like some of those barriers are kind of put in place intentionally? Like the fact that it's so hard to register for uh, a new ID, that it's so hard to register for a new license. I almost feel like some of those are intentionally put in place in people's, in people's way. I, I think that one can see it that way, that they're intentionally put in place. But I also think that um, to measure a person's determination, 
there has to be some type of obstacles, right? Um, those are just hurdles you have to get over and you have to find a way to do it, right? So they can also be used as a, a, a measure of one's determination, right? I was determined. They, they made it hard to get that ID, no question. Um, but I was determined to get it. Uh, but I do think during that process of those barriers, there needs to be compassion all the way through, right? Um, so I think if, 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 if we can find a way to have those same barriers in place, although they're, some people can say they're intentional, some people can say they're, they're unintentional. Nevertheless, they're there, right? The question is, how do I, as a person coming out, understanding those barriers that are going to be there, still have the motivation, the drive, and the support and the compassion from people to help me get over those barriers so I can show that I truly am a reformed person, mm. right? They can't just be there with the evil intent or the ill intent to say, I don't want him to make it. I want him to fail. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want, I'll put the barrier there, but I really want him to succeed. The barrier is there for the, just for the purpose of showing how dedicated and determined this individual is not there to intentionally make this individual fail. Um, and I think there's a fine line when it comes to, you know, whether they're there for that reason or whether they're there to determine or measure the determination of the individual um, seeking to, to want a, a second chance in their lives. This specific uh, House Bill 6445 that you wrote about, it improves second chances by reducing barriers to professional licensing for people with convictions. Can you just talk about the specifics of, of that bill and why it was so important for you to write about it? I, I'm, in a, I'm a real estate professional. So obviously, you know, when I applied for my license, the, the criminal history, all that stuff came into play. Um, and one of the one of the defining factors, in ter- at least in terms of, of earning a real estate license, was as long as you didn't have any crimes of larsonious intent, like uh, you know, trust crimes that went to a person's integrity and trustworthiness, um, you were able to obtain a, a particular license. You you still were scrutinized. Like I, I had a letter from the uh, Department of Consumer Protection investigator. They they wanted to know details of the crime. They wanted to know you know details of my arrest records and stuff like that. So I think that's a necessary element that that has to be there. Um, but there's other professions like a professional truck driver. Right. I, I had a, a friend who wanted to get his license. His um, CDL license um, and just the things that were put in front of him um, and not being able to obtain a CDL license because he was convicted of 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 a crime. Um, to me, it really makes no sense. You know, you're driving a truck from one point to another. You're picking up stuff. You're dropping off stuff. Right. You're not you're not digging into people's personal finances and things like that. So so some professions um, they have different levels of, of what is needed to obtain a license in that profession. Uh, and some of the rules and some of the things that are in place that require that to me are, are some of, some of them are just senseless. Um, uh, you, you know, again, for a person to can't get a basic CDL license because of a, of, of a conviction, you know, that has nothing to do with the ability of driving an eighteen-wheeler truck. <laughs> um, is 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 mind-boggling, right? So every profession obviously is going to have different 
different requirements. So I think what the bill tries to do is try to figure out how can we ease those requirements to allow um, persons that are coming out to be professional licensed in, in these particular areas so they can take advantage of, of the things that they are, are passionate about. How's your business doing? It's hard for me to say that I was successful until I'm able to get as many people as I can into situations where they, they want to buy homes. So it's a struggle staying successful. There's, there's obviously barriers, uh, uh, but um, you know, I'm doing well. I, you know, I, I'm happy at what I'm doing. I, I, you know, I find purpose in what I'm doing. Um, am I satisfied, fully satisfied at, you know, what I'm accomplishing? No, I, I think if I said to myself that I'm, I'm satisfied, then I won't work as hard as I work every day. But other than that, I'm busy staying busy. <laughs> well, and it sounds like you're busy. and sounds like you've got a lot yeah. going on. I guess the last thing for you, how much in your life as you as you work to make your business successful as you have so many things that you're you're working on right now how much does that 19 year gap that you spent behind bars wrongly how much does that come back in your mind in your thoughts in your work every single day or is that something that you have been able to put largely behind you um you know that's that's a really great question and what i look at it is I have to take what I went through and says, how did what I went through and what I have to endure play into making me a better person? And when I look at that, it just says, you know what? It, it, it proved that if I was determined to accomplish something, no matter what the barriers were, I can do it. No matter if I was dedicated to that, whether it was 10 years, 15 years or 20 years, if you stay dedicated and you stay true to your goal, you can accomplish it. You can accomplish it no matter what, right? Um, so it strengthened me in that way um, in terms of being purposeful and driven. From an emotional standpoint, you know, I try to, pe- I, I try to put it behind me because those are things that no matter what, you just can't repair. Like the relationships that I lost with my kids, the emotional bonds that I lost with my kids. Um, you, you yearn for those, but those are lost. You can't really get those back. And I think I have to kind of just accept that truth in order for me to be able to move on from a, an emotional standpoint, but create new experiences, you know, going forward and not, not, um, not think about the lost experiences that I, that I've lost with that. Uh, but now, you know, with my, I have a, a younger child now, and being able to build those emotional bonds with her, it does show me how much I actually lost with my other kids. And in coming to grips with that reality that those things can never be recaptured no matter what, um, when I start thinking about those too much, it, it, you know, that's when I start you know, you know, getting emotional. And I, and I understand that you know, for me, I, I just can't be an emotional person. It's just not in the cards for me at this particular time, at least in terms of what I lost over those 19 years. It's just, you know, that's just from a sports analogy, that's just a game you lost, it hurt, and I can't just keep replaying it because I'll, 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 I'll stay stuck there. And, and I don't want to stay stuck there because that obviously wouldn't be productive for me or for anybody around me. Uh, so yeah, so from an emotional standpoint, I'll, I'll just never be able to get over that. But 
you know, I, I don't deal with it. And I kind of just deal with what I can do uh, going forward uh, from, from a, um, a standpoint of making me a better person. Those obstacles just made me more determined to, to be a better person, be who I think that uh, God meant me to be. And I had to go through those to, to kind of discover that about myself. Um, so that's, that's how I deal with it, you know, and I just keep it moving. Yeah. Scott, I really want to thank you for spending some time with me and I wish you continued success in everything that you're doing. I appreciate the interview, man. Thanks for the call. Uh, hopefully that we can have, we can have some success on this bill and, you know, doors can open for a lot of, uh, men and women that are coming out of the situations that I came through, because I do know that there are a lot of them that truly, truly, uh, inspire to kind of want to you know, put their lives in the right direction and they just need some compassion, man. Yeah. That's, that's what's needed to kind of make those things real to them. That's real estate agent Scott Lewis. He spent 19 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. If you want to read more about his story, go to our steadyhabits.org page. There we've got links to not only his op-ed about this bill that we were talking about, but also links to some of the great reporting that the New Haven Independent did about his case and about his release. Thanks to George Mastrianis and Dave Swanson of Legend Studios in Avon, Connecticut for their steady beats. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks so much for joining me, and we'll talk to you soon.